Uh, if we've not had a chance to meet, I'm Tim, I'm the vicar here. And uh, as Will said earlier on, I'm going to be speaking into the third of our little mini faith toolkit series, uh, looking at our complete confidence in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I want to look at how he uh, justifies us. Uh, in order to do that, I'm going to read from um, this section in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. If you've got the green Bibles, we were handing them out at the start, and so this is page 1067, if you want to follow along. I'd, I'd encourage you to have the passage open. It's, it's a sort of theologically rich passage, arguably one of the most significant sections in the whole of the Bible, and I'm going to refer to it a fair amount, so I'd love you to, to follow with me. And to that end, actually, um, I, know, I know we've all got Bible apps on our phones and so on, but I, the only thing, I don't know about you, I find uh, that if I've got my phone and I'm reading the Bible, and all the sort of distractions come in as well, latest football score or whatever it might be, and, and I can find myself distracted. So I'd love to, I'd love to get back to old school, um, good old paper Bibles, and we've got loads of them. We'll be, we'll be sort of giving them out. Um, we, we don't use them again for another week, so I think we're sort of COVID secure with that. Uh, we, were, we were COVID cautious, uh, understandably, in the early days. But that's, that's a pattern I'd love us to get into so we can, we can have Scripture in front of us. I'm in Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 to 26. Actually, maybe just to, to, to the on-ramp, as they say, I'm going to read verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you take the message of these few sentences and impress them on our hearts and minds. Teach us this evening, Lord. Increase our knowledge and understanding of you. Uh, deepen our faith in you that we walk in greater and greater freedom, insight, understanding of your kingdom as we seek to uh, release it here on earth. So teach us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the argument so far is that, uh, and let's just flick back, chapter 1 and verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of human beings who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Well, that, that's kind of bold biblical language for just stuff that's going on. 
people may be issuing rules about lockdown where you have to um, isolate or be in certain restricted numbers and then throwing parties in their own house. It's about tennis players who think that they don't have to take the vaccine. It's about members of the royal family with alleged sexual misdemeanors. It's just stuff going on all around. And the wrath of God is being revealed against all this stuff and others. Since what would have been made known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We see it in an extreme form in a beautiful sunset or a glorious sunrise. It's like, wow, how amazing. Or the birth of a human being from a tiny cluster of cells to nine months later. Wow, miracle, how incredible. We say wonderful, full of wonder. But in all sorts of ways, it's obvious that there is a God who rules over and sustains and inspires the world in which we live. And when we deny that or repress that or push it or marginalise it, we, we sin. And Paul has been uh, building this argument through from 1.18 all the way through to that uh, the verse I started with, chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Or as he puts it in 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the result is that every single one of us, Paul says, stands condemned and under judgment. But now, that word is full of hope. But, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And he contrasts in this passage here, the unrighteousness of some and the self-righteousness of others and the lack of any righteousness of all of us, frankly, with the righteousness of God. But now, but now kind of reverses the, the sweep or the flow of the argument that's been going before. It's been this, 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 but now. Change of direction, new force, new momentum. The righteousness of God. And the result of the righteousness of God set against our unrighteousness is justification. I want to unpack this glorious doctrine of justification, of our certainty in being right before God through Jesus Christ. But now, the word that Paul uses, and it occurs uh, four or five times in this little paragraph that I read, is the Greek word dikai osune, dikai osune. And I, I just, I'm just going to linger here for a few minutes because it's... It, it, Oh, I hope it helps. Forgive me if it's a little bit technical, but I, I just hope it helps to unpack all that God has done for us, as Paul explains it. Dikai osune, it means righteousness or justice. And our NIV translation doesn't really give, it's difficult to do it, to give it full credit for the full meaning of this word, righteousness or justice. So in verse 21, it's described, we, we translate it as the righteousness of God. But actually, that could just as well be uh, translated the justification of God. But now, apart from the law, the justification of God has been made known. Or in verse 24, where it says, and all are justified freely, we could just as easily translate that, and all are righteous freely. 
further little confusion with the original language, the Greek, is it's not clear, because they both they look exactly the same, whether it's a righteousness from God or a righteousness of God. I, I, it plays to our advantage. Let, let's look at both of them. Righteousness from God. In other words, God acting as a judge, rightly. Uh, acting in justice through Jesus Christ. In other words, as the just judge of the world, not condoning our sin. A righteousness from God. But a, a righteousness of God denotes kind of possession. In other words, his beauty, his goodness, his truth, which he imputes to us in Jesus Christ. In other words, this is God not condemning the sinner. So not condoning the sin, a, a justice from God, but not condemning the sinner. A, the justiceness or the righteousness of God and both of those justice and righteousness from God and of God matter to us justice matters we, we, we see that in everyday life I've just excited the reason why those things I declared at the top of the top of the talk that they're headlines at the moment because they matter it matters that there's a verdict on the government or on elite sports people. It matters. If there's one rule for all of us and one rule for just a few, and they're at odds, we don't like that. Deep down, because God is good and God is just and we're made in his image, we feel that deeply. And we feel it all the time. I was at Fulham yesterday. Amid a crowd of people, most of whom I guess are not, wouldn't be card-carrying Christians or even God-believers. We had a good day. We won 6-2. We're top of the league, two points clear with the game in hand. Thanks for asking. <laughs> on a regular basis, I'd say on average about once a minute, there were expressive appeals for justice. Ref! An appeal to the referee, if you think about it, is an appeal to justice. The opponent has infringed our player. He's in an offside position. They are breaking the rules. I'm just an ordinary spectator. You're the one with the whistle. Do something about it. We feel the injustice. It's visceral in a football crowd over something as inane as a game of football. How much more if a life is taken murderously? How much more if we're in an office and... Some substandard performance is promoted above us. We feel justice matters. That rights, uh, sorry, wrongs are righted is important, intrinsically important to us. The justice of God and the justice from God is crucial if the social and moral fabric of our society is not to fragment and fray. And just the silly analogy of a game of football but supposing the ref just well I'll let some go you know, I'll, I'll apply the rules here but not there or in the first half but not in the second half the game of football as we know it would disintegrate extrapolate that for the world in which we live justice matters but so does righteousness righteousness matters let's just think about it for a moment righteousness is effectively a validating certificate that each of us longs to have. It's like a CV. 
You th think about your CV. What do you put on your CV, your curriculum visa? You put your qualifications. Look, I worked hard to get these exam passes. Or you put um, other sundry interests or qualifications, things that, that speak of your character, your personality, your, your wider interests. Here's my experience. Here's all the things I've done. Here are referees. Here are people who will speak to the goodness of my character. Put it all on the Here. And you, put, you, you offer the CV to the future and prospective employer and you say, look, on this basis, accept me. I, I, I'm, I'm, look, I'm good. I'm worth it. I, 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 I wish to belong. And on this basis, you could accept me. You could choose me so that I could be part of your company, whatever it might be. Deep down, all of us want to belong. All of us want to be accepted. Righteousness is the way in which we go about our acceptance. Justice matters, righteousness matters. These things that are right, wrapped up in the heart of God and that have been revealed, Paul says, to us now. Justice and righteousness, they matter to us. And here's the rub. As, as we looked last week, and if we're honest, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that in the courts where God is judge, we stand condemned, all have sinned. And yet at the same time, we know we all long to be accepted. We, we long for a righteousness that gives us standing before God. Every other world religion kind of works up a righteousness. He works up deeds and words and thoughts and actions that are, that are good and benevolent and, and say, offers them to God and says, God, on this basis, will you accept me? And uniquely, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the other way around. God creates a beautiful, perfect righteousness and then, as Paul says, gives it to us freely. And for those who receive, it's the basis of their acceptance before God. And that is what the Bible calls, and, and theologians have termed, justification. Where we are accepted by God. Justification. I'll give you this, this definition. It's the free granting to us of the undeserved status of being right with God. Justification, i say it again. It's the free granting to us of the undeserved status of being right with God. And it comes, as I'll touch on in a minute, through faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. The free granting of undeserved status. Do you, do you, do you note that word, status? Justification is more than simply a pardon or forgiveness. It is, it is a whole new way of being seen. Do you know that the story in Luke 15, Jesus tells of the father and the two sons, we kind of know it as a prodigal son. Prodigal means extravagant or wasteful. It it's probably should, Tim Keller argues, should refer to the father, the, the, the wasteful, the extravagant in terms of his love and his generosity, the extravagant father. 
And the younger son goes off and spends all his inheritance, wastes it, and then he's, he kind of, you know, it all fritters away. And he comes back cap in hand, convicted of his, of his wastefulness. He comes back to the father. And you, you, you know, if you know the story, you'll be familiar with it. He's kind of rehearsed this speech. He says, oh, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, you know, maybe like one of your hired servants. I'll, I'll go and sort of clean out the pig pens. And the father won't have it. He wants to do way more than just forgive or pardon. He says, quick, he says to servants, bring a robe, a sign of authority. Bring a ring, status. Bring sandals. This is a son, not a slave. And kill the fatted calf, kind of reserved. You know, it's like the best, biggest champagne has been on ice. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a feast. This son of mine was lost and is found. And he welcomes the son home. The son home. No conditions. Not sort of a certain amount of time working out your slavery. Not you've got to earn back what you lost. No, freely accept it. A status conferred on him. Justification is way more than just a pardon or, or way more than forgiveness. Forgiveness says, go, I let you off. Justification says, come, I desire your presence. I want you. It's a little sort of ditty to help justification or, or, or if I am justified, it's just if I'd never sinned. Justified, just if I'd never sinned. Who's never sinned? Jesus. So when God justifies us in his eyes, he sees us as Jesus. Just if I had never sinned. New status conferred on us freely, even though we don't deserve it. That's the grace, the gift of God. How is this possible? How does God effect this? Again, it's why the Dikaio Sune, the, the, the righteousness and the justice of God from God, is meted out to us. At the cross. Look at verse uh, 24 and 25. Although all have sinned, verse 23, all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Redemption buying us out of slavery into this conferred status of sonship comes at the cross when we recognise Jesus died as a sacrifice of atonement, Paul says. God's righteousness is not compromised and our unrighteousness is not condoned. The law is upheld. God's justice prevails. A punishment is paid, but at the same time, relationship is restored. God's righteousness is revealed. His perfect justice, his perfect rightness, goodness, love, together in the cross, through his radical grace, his generosity, and through the obedience of Jesus' death, the shedding of his blood on our behalf. The wonder of it. There was an African chief in charge of a tribe, tight-knit community, uh, and he 
he had a challenge on his hands because it became apparent that amongst their number there was a thief ruining the community and the cohesion that they had and the angst from his behalf turned to deep agony when it transpired that the thief was none other than his elderly mother the chief's mother was the one who was stealing from amongst and they had tight rules and quite draconian rules there was harsh discipline for those who broke the law and uh, she was condemned to a severe public flogging the whole village comes out there's a post in the middle and she's tied to a post and two of the villagers with long wooden rods are ready to beat her back into a pulp and the chief who who knows that justice has to be done that punishment must be meted out for justice to be enacted yet in his love can't bear to see his elderly ailing mother go through this turmoil torture so he steps in and wraps his body around her he takes the beating on his back in order to satisfy the righteous justice of the law and in order to justify his mother the law is upheld the punishment is paid and the guilty can go free indeed because the punishment has been paid the guilty should go free When I was a teenager, a long time ago, we, we, didn't, we didn't sing songs, we, we sang choruses. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember when you know, choruses were the rad way to worship as a Christian. <laughs> and we used to sing this chorus. I'm not going to sing it, I'll just relay the words. You'll be relieved to hear. At the cross of Jesus, pardon is complete. Truth and mercy mingle, love and justice meet. Though my sins condemn me, Jesus died instead. There is full forgiveness in the blood he shed. And for those who receive by faith this radical act of love, that those who, when guilty sinners and a holy God meet at the cross, and through the atoning sacrifice, that sacrifice of at one sinners forgiven, reconciled to God, they are justified, conferred with a brand new status of son or daughter, undeserved, yet freely given. Finally, I mentioned earlier, how do we receive this wondrous gift of justification? You see it there in verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It's faith in the atoning sacrifice, the shedding of Christ's blood, that we receive justification. We stand acceptable before God as sons and daughters. So you notice it's not through merit. It's not through anything we do. It's what God has done. All have sinned. There's nothing we can do. We've fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing we can do to climb up into a level of acceptance. 
it's totally reliant on the blood of Jesus across. Do you notice it's, it's, not, it's, it's not just faith. Every single one of us have faith. We all have faith. I mean, I mean atheists have faith. Different religions have faith. They're agnostics. The, the nuns, they have faith. And nuns, I don't mean, you know, ladies and have it. I mean the N-O-N-E in the, in the census. Yeah, they have faith. We all have faith. We just put it... <laughs> As I said it, I thought, oh, that's going to get misunderstood. I'll just give you a moment because now you can't get that image out of your head of a nun, can you? We all have faith. The, the issue is who or what do you put your faith in? It might be your own ability to get out of a hole or uh, intellect or your looks or your possessions or, or, or your social circle. We, we all have faith. The issue is who or what you put your faith in. It's not, by the way, our faith in Jesus. It's our faith in Jesus. If we emphasize the faith, we have a tendency, all of us as humans, to, 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 to think it's all about us, to put ourselves at the center of things about my faith in Jesus. But then it'll just become a work. It'll become merit. Oh, it's all about my faith. And then when you go through a tough time or a wobbly time, you'll begin to doubt the whole thing. If you think it all rests on you, it doesn't. It rests on Jesus. Verse 25, the atoning sacrifice Jesus, the shedding of his blood. Do you notice, therefore, it's not just, you know, Jesus, oh, he was a good guy, a good example. I'll try to be like him. We looked last term, that's, that's a heresy. And again, it, it just slides into your effort, your work. No, this is 100% our faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The blood shed on the cross. Did, God did not set aside his justice. He turned it in on himself. And through Christ, offered an at-one-ing sacrifice that enables us to be forgiven of our unrighteousness, forgiven of our sin, cleansed, washed, refreshed, as we saw this morning, the image of the baptism, the water, and brought into new life, justified. A brand new status before God. I want to close, literally finish now, just by, we're going to worship a little bit by way of response, but I just want to, to pause and to invite you to consider um, what you make of this. Uh, I realise there's been quite a lot of knowledge or information, quite a lot of, sort of teaching. And for some of you, some of us here, we, we've heard this before, we're familiar with it, it's good to be refreshed with what the Bible teaches about our right status before God. I wonder, I just, I, I don't know, uh, many of you, where you are in terms of your journey of faith. And I want to give an opportunity just, just now, even as I'm speaking for you, maybe to respond for the first time in this way, if you've never fully realized what it was that God has done in Jesus Christ on the cross for you, to cleanse you from your unrighteousness, to bring you out of, from under the condemnation of sinners falling short of God's glory and into brand new hope and a brand new start, a brand new way of living as his son or daughter. It's, it's yours simply as you, maybe with this visual aid we have here, which theologically I have issues with, but it's useful in other ways. He's not still on the cross. He rose. The window is far more accurate than the rude. But there we are.
it's there at least as a reminder of what it was that God did in order to pay the price for your sin and enable you to step into brand new life. Is, is that something you, 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 you consciously thought about for yourself? Is that something you've, you've taken in by faith and said, Father, I, I dare to believe that you did that for me. I dare to believe that if I receive this monstrous gift of new life, of forgiveness, because of your righteousness and your justice, I dare to believe that you will enable me by the power of your spirit to live a brand new life, one that makes you look good in all that I think and say and do. I, I just want, I'd love to give this opportunity. If, if you've never consciously prayed that prayer, never consciously thought that thought, never consciously, consciously sort of stepped over the line from sinner under condemnation to saint living free, justified because of God's grace, I'd love to give you that opportunity to, to pray that prayer right now. I wonder if, uh, why, why don't we all stand together? Just that standing confers a sort of, you know, I've been sort of sitting in a passive mind. I'm, gonna, I'm intentional now. I, I don't want to single anyone out, but just maybe there's, even if it's just one person, and in standing you say, yeah, I, I want to stand differently. I receive this gift. I, I want, I'm going to offer a little prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you want to make this prayer your own, just, just kind of echo it. Take the words uh, and, and use them in your heart and your mind before God. Let me just give a moment just for those who want to take this step to pray this prayer, to receive this gift and to live a new life. Here's the prayer. Father, I recognize that I've fallen short of your goodness and glory. I recognize that the life I live is not all that I could or should be. I fall short of your glory. But I thank you, Father, for sending Jesus Christ. For his sacrificial death and the shedding of his blood. I thank you for the gift of new life through forgiveness of sins. And I receive that gift now. I hear your words of pardon. And I receive my new status in your sight as a son, a daughter. Thank you for my new status. Come fill me with your holy life-giving spirit. Release me to live a life that demonstrates your goodness, your love, your righteousness and your justice in an aching world. I want to be part of that prayer that prays your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Amen.